Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, I'd like to start off our Bible study this morning with a question. Okay? Get, get your ears attentive. Ready? Here's the question. What does the Feast of Dedication mean to you? What does the Feast of Dedication mean to you? Let me answer that for you. For some of us, absolutely nothing. For some of us, absolutely everything. You go, whoa, 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 can you explain that? Yeah. For some of us, absolutely nothing because you haven't really understood what the Feast of Dedication is in relation to you. And then as a believer, absolutely everything because you understand what the Feast of Dedication means to you. Let me explain. Let me explain. Let's say you and I jump in our DeLorean, okay? We're going to jump in our DeLorean, and we're going to travel back in time. But not like Marty McFly, where we're going back to 1955. We're actually going to go a little bit farther back in time. You go, how soon? We're going to go back to 175 BC. That's a long way, okay? So we're going to type in the flux capacitor, 175 BC. You guys ready to go back in time? We're going back in time to 175, we come up with them, we meet a man, a man by the name of Antiochus IV, Antiochus IV. If you're taking, no, let me go ahead and give you the spelling. His name is Antiochus, A-N-T-I-O-C-H-U-S, Antiochus. You go, okay, what was this? In 175, we land, there he is, Antiochus IV. What has happened is he's ascended to the throne in Syria. Your attention for just a moment, Israel sits here, Syria sits way up north. If you go with us to Israel next year, you will stand on the borderline between Israel and Syria. He has ascended to the throne in Syria. I want you to see Syria's here. Israel's here and Egypt is here. You go, why is that important? Well, they're Antiochus, he's ascended to the throne. He's become a regional power. He's become an overlord. Now he has plans. What are his plans? His plans are to conquer Egypt. You with me? He's up in Syria. He says, I'm going to take Egypt. Yeah. In the meantime, guess who's in between Egypt and Syria? Jerusalem. So he's going, well, I'll just wipe them out too. So on my way to conquer Egypt, what does he do? He comes and he captures Jerusalem, okay? He captures them and he rules over them for a little while. You go, well, what happened? Well, he comes in and as he rules over them, Antiochus does something very interesting. He starts off by building a large sports stadium there in Jerusalem. And all the people including the Jews, they participated and watched in these spectacular sporting events. So he got them watching sports. He got them. He built their trust a little bit. Antiochus says, hey, I've got you. Don't worry. Although I'm ruling over you, I've got you. In the meantime, guess what he's doing, guys? In the meantime, he gradually removes the holy things of Israel from the temple. And he starts to refill the temple with images and ideas that were foreign to Israel. See, he didn't come in all at once and go, hey, look what I'm going to do. He slowly is like, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this. Eventually, guess what he did? He covered the altar of sacrifice to God of Israel with an altar to a foreign God. And then, 
when Israel wasn't paying attention, he commanded the people to worship the Greek god Zeus. You guys with me? So he comes in and he's like, hey, we're all friends. Let's just get along. I'm not going to kill you or nothing. I just ruled over you. You guys are weak. And then he starts saying, by the way, y'all need to start worshiping Zeus. Okay? And you're just going, what happened? What happened? I mean, all of a sudden, things have changed, right? And then it happened. You go, what happened? Antiochus began to call himself divine the manifestation of God, that is, the Son of God. So he stepped, him, he stepped up and he said, listen, I'm no longer Antiochus IV. I'm, call me Antiochus Epiphanes. You go, what does Epiphanes mean? Epiphanes means, check this out, it means illustrious one or God manifest. You know what he's saying? Call me God. I am both, both man and God. This is what Antiochus does. So could you imagine if someone steps up and says, man, I've, I'm kind of slowly inching my way in. Now I've got you. Come build this big sports. Everybody's, yeah, Antiochus. And then he steps up and he says, by the way, you're not going to worship Zeus anymore. You're going to worship me because I am God, right? This is about 175 as it's coming through, right? Now, you go, why, was, why would he do that? I mean, I'm, I mean that, that happens today. People stand up and go, I'm Jesus. Well, here's his problem, right? Antiochus was, he does this because, because he wanted the people to forget the law of Moses and he wanted them to forget God. In this way, Antiochus says, if I could get them to forget, notice guys, if I could get, for, get them to forget the law of Moses and I could get them to forget God, how much easier would it be me to conquer them and rule over them as I please? It's like, wow. What was the result? Well, of course, there's opposition, right? Whoa, you're not God. Oh, stop. We won't forget the law of Moses. We love God. Well, guess what happens? Whenever there's opposition, there's persecution. Antiochus says, no, we ain't having part of that. So he began to kill people who opposed him. He began, to, he began to slaughter people, and, and death was common result and persecution. I mean, it was all over the place. Anybody who stood up, anybody who stood up and said, no, I'm going to follow God with all my heart, would kill him. And Antiochus says, I am God. Now, why is this important, guys? Why is this important? Here's why. Listen. Because with history, we see that it's going to repeat itself in the future. With history, we're going to see that it repeats itself. You go, how so? Daniel speaks about something called the abomination of desolation, okay? Daniel speaks about, think about it, guys. He's going to think about in the book of Revelation, where the Antichrist is going to come up to power, Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 24, 15. You go, what is it? Okay, we see over here in history a man by the name of Antiochus IV who changed his name to Antiochus Epiphanes stands up in the middle of the temple. He's already desecrated the temple and claims to be God. You guys got that? Over here, future, right? Our future, okay? Somewhere in the future, there's going to be a man that we call the Antichrist. Pastor, who is he? I don't know, but we know that he's going to stand up in the temple in Jerusalem and he's going to claim that he is God. Pastor, I have a question. There is no temple in Jerusalem right now. You're absolutely right. Not yet. But if you go to Israel, right, they have something called the Temple Institute where they already have everything ready for 
the third temple to be built. Well, Pastor, it, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. Why? Because if you, don't, if you remember, the Dome of the Rock, right? The Muslim Dome of the Rock sits where the old temple used to sit. And, and the Jews and the Muslim don't get along on the Temple Mount. That is the most holiest place in all the earth right there, and they don't get along. Ah, but what if, what if they somehow, somebody decides the best way to have peace is let the Muslims have the Dome of the Rock, and we could build a third temple just a little bit to the right in this big area, and maybe put a wall in between, and then everybody gets what they want. You go, wow, that sounds... How fast can they build a temple? Guys, they can have a temple up in a month. So you have this happening in the future. You go, what does that mean to me? Okay, history, you're learning about it so you understand our text today. But keep in mind, because when you watch the news, you'll see things about a peace treaty that Daniel talks about. You'll see things about a third temple. When you start seeing that, you know we're getting really, 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 really close. All that's going to go down, okay? What happens in between? What's going on right now? Remember, Jesus has been talking that he is who? He is, in fact, God. So you have somebody claiming to be God that's killing people. Jesus comes on the scene. He says he's God. And then, in the future, you're going to have someone come up and try to do the very same thing. You go, well, how does it happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. The most famous conflict connected to Antiochus Epiphanes is known as the Maccabean Revolt. During that time in history, there were two factions within Judaism. Okay, you go, who were they? There was a group called the Hellenists. The Hellenists. H-E-L-L-E-N-I-S-T-S. The Hellenists. And who were they? They were a group of people who began to accept pagan sacrifices, pagan practices, right? And allowed it all within the Greek culture. These were the Hellenists. Well, there was a group of other people in Judaism known as the traditionalists. And the traditionalists said, no, 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 that's pagan. That's wrong. We want to continue to walk with God. We want to continue to serve the law and the God of Moses. Well, in a way to avoid a civil war, Antiochus just goes, no, 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 here's what we're going to do. We're just going to outlaw all the Jewish rites and worship, and you're going you're to worship Zeus, and you're not going to worship Yahweh. So all of a sudden, you had these two people butting heads. All of a sudden, Antiochus steps up and says, nope, nope, nope. Now, he, just, he wasn't trying to Hellenize the people. Guess what he was trying to do? You need to get this and understand that he was trying to totally eliminate all the Jewish culture. And of course, the Jews rebelled against his decrees. Of course, if, if somebody came in here and said, you cannot worship Jesus anymore, I would hope that we say, yes, we are. And, and, and nobody's going to tell me, wait a minute, how can that be? How can that be? Guys, we, we can see how this is infiltrating our lives slowly but surely. You go, well, nobody's going to stand up and tell me that I can't worship Jesus. No, but we can tell you this, right? And this is a big deal. We can tell you that if you don't have health care, then we can penalize you a huge amount of money. Every year in your taxes, okay, it's going to be a little bit, get health care. 
Okay, a little bit. And then and you and all of a sudden, what are you forced to do? You're forced to have health care. Because you don't want to pay two thousand, twenty-eight, three thousand bucks. So we gotta be careful because that's happening. That's happening, but Antiochus didn't just want to change the culture. He just didn't want to reform the Jews. He wanted to wipe them out completely. You guys with me? He wanted to wipe them out. So what is, how does he do that? Well, the first thing he does is he attacks the thing that they hold sacred. What's that? The temple. About 168 BC, he desecrates the temple. You go, what does he do? Well, in an act of brazen disrespect, Antioch raids the temple to Jerusalem, steals the treasures, and he sets up another altar to Zeus. And then he starts sacrificing swine on the altar. Now, you guys know that Jews, it's unkosher to have swine, pigs. They just, that's not kosher to them. It's unclean. Well, Antiochus comes in and goes, guess what? We're not sacrificing lambs. Escape goes, we're sacrificing pigs. Well, to the Jewish person, that is, help me, church, that is an abomination. That is an abomination. That is unthinkable. That is unthinkable. So what do they do? They begin to express their outrage, right? You profane the temple. You profane the temple. Well, you know what Antiochus did? says, I don't care what you're doing. He began slaughtering a great number of Jews, and then he would sell others into slavery. And to make matters worse, guys, wherever ordered a sacrifice to pagan gods, he would make the people eat the pig flesh. He would make the Jewish people, right? Well, guess what happened? A fellow by the name of Judas Maccabees said, we've had enough. We've had enough. So about 166 BC, guys, he leads a revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes. He gathers the group and he says, guys, we're not, you know, we're not going to take it, right? We're not going to take it. Remember that song? And they're going to go and they go up against Antiochus Epiphanes and they win. And they win. All of a sudden, they had these great victories. God is with them, right? They run off Antiochus and the, and the Seleucids. And guess what happens? In 165 BC, they restore the temple once again. They had victory. Yes. Okay? They restore the temple. Guess what they call it, church? They call it the Feast of Dedication the Feast of Dedication. You also know it as the Feast of Lights, but maybe some of you know it as Hanukkah. When, when we as Gentiles celebrate Christmas, a lot of Jews are celebrating Hanukkah. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating their victory by Judas Maccabeus going, we got the temple back and we brought back all of, its, all of the utensils and the altar and we're worshiping God once again. Okay? So from 166, add another 30 years for Jesus, okay, 66, 76, 80, for about 200 years roundabout, every year around winter time, starting about December 22nd, in Israel, the Jews in Jerusalem, they celebrate Hanukkah. What does that mean? That means we defeated this crazy man named Antiochus who thought he was God. We defeated him. We restored the temple back the way it was. We restored the temple. Now, think about this. In about 40 short years after Jesus leaves the earth, that temple is destroyed. 
Okay, Titus Vespasian comes in and destroys the temple. That's for a whole nother teaching. But now we have the, the what? It's called the Feast of Dedication. Well, what does it mean to me? Well, you're going to see in just a minute, okay? So if you're taking note, I want to give you some key points to help you understand the text. When you understand who Antiochus is, basically when you read the text, you're going to go, that makes so much more sense, okay? Who was Antiochus Epiphanes? He was a person who was a madman who, who basically was destroying and he claimed himself to be God in the flesh. That's who he was. You go, okay. What did the temple have to do with this? Why was he desecrating the temple? Because the temple, guys, was very, very important. It meant to the Israelites God's presence. Okay? It reminded them of God's presence. It also reminded them of their continued failure to follow God. Okay? I remember they're like, oh, we should be following God, and we, we blow it from time to time, and we're not following God. And a lot of times we go after other temptations, and when we do, we experience pain and suffering and, and death. And God, who is God, the good shepherd, continues to restore his people just like he restored the temple. You guys with me? And most importantly, guys, the temple provided a means of reconciliation with God. With the temple defiled by Antiochus, the people tripped. You go, why? Well, how would they make peace with their God? Okay, how could they come to terms with their guilt from their sin? Was there hope for peace in their life? Where was God? Okay, so the temple had a big deal, okay? But you're going, well, Ben, there's not a temple there. Now, stay with me. I decided to call this message early on the showdown at Solomon's porch, Okay, the showdown, because they're going to surround Jesus at Solomon's porch. But here's what I really want you to get. Right here, it shows us how stones become flesh. You're going, what? Stones become flesh? Yeah, here's how. The most important aspect of the temple for the Jewish people was being reconciled back to God. You guys understand that, right? You're like, yes, I get it. So... The temple for us is actually found in two particular points. You go, what do you mean? Understand, Jesus is the living temple. The living temple. Well, for us, our Jesus means reconciliation back to God. Without Jesus, we are, going, we are saying this. How do we come to terms with the guilt of our sin? Right? How do we do this? Where was our hope for peace without Jesus? Where is God? Well, Jesus is the living temple, and here's where it gets good, right? What did he, Jesus tell what did Jesus tell the people? Destroy what? This temple, and in 3 days I'll raise it up again, right? The fact that Jesus is the living temple cannot be destroyed anymore is what brings you and I into reconciliation with him. So you go, what is the Feast of Dedication? It means everything to us because Jesus is our living temple. But it goes further than that. You go, what's the second point? According to Scripture, he says that you and I are that temple of God as well. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Why? You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are part of the temple of God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says this, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols, right? For you are the temple of the living God. 
as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Here's the point. Jesus is the living temple. And when we accept him, Jesus comes to live inside of us. Therefore, we become the temple of the living God in our bodies. Therefore, there is no need for a structure in Israel called the temple because the body of Christ is now the temple. Very, very, very key. So today, what happens? We discover that the Jews, guess what, are going to surround Jesus in a place called Solomon's Porch. And they're going to press him to find some truth. And you go, why? Why, Pastor? What's the reason? You ready? Because when you understand the history, they're not wanting another Antiochus. They're not wanting to go, yeah, we really like this guy. He's been wonderful. Let's follow him. Follow him straight into idol worship where we're worshiping Zeus. And then he claims to be God and then destroys and kills everybody. I want you to think about this. Think about your family and friends. Think about your family. If you follow this man, he could kill my family. That's the one reason. The second reason is, if we follow Antiochus Epiphanes and we follow Jesus, are we gonna, is the temple going to be defiled or even destroyed? You can see how they're just really concerned. They're just really concerned. Now, just as a side note, I mentioned earlier, last week we were six months from crucifixion. Today, we're about two to three months away, Okay. So, picking it up real fast, in John chapter 10, verse 22, we're going to move pretty quick because you guys know the background. So once you know the background, it's going to make a lot of sense. Look at verse 22. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. You guys know all about the feast. What was the feast? It was the restoring and the cleansing of the temple because of Antiochus, what that dude did. And Judas Maccabees come in, it's called the Maccabean Revolt. So when you read it, you go, yeah, I know the Feast of, yeah, it's called Hanukkah. That's what John's telling us. John is saying, hey, this is Hanukkah. Oh, by the way, it's winter. And don't you just love John? He just wants to remind us that this happens around winter, winter time. Okay? And you go, okay, well, what happens? Well, look at verse 23. And Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said, quote, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, the Christos, the, the Meshach, he says, tell us plainly. You could understand, right? You could understand why all of a sudden Jesus is walking in Solomon's porch and all these guys get around and they say, tell us if you're the Christ. Tell us plainly. Give us the truth, man. Okay? Solomon's porch. Let's talk about that. That's a, that's a very interesting place. It's very important. Why? Because it was a portico or a porch on the east side of the temple, and it was actually called the porch of judgment. When we went to Israel, I was telling Nathalie, I said, depending on where exactly the temple was, okay, we could have either been real close to Solomon's porch and walked right where Jesus was, or or it's it's or the or the temple was a little bit farther, and it would be either it would be sitting depending on when you're looking at it, it could be where right where the dome of the rock is, or it could be on the other side. Either way, we know Jesus walked around there, right there. And, and, and here he comes into Solomon's porch, right? And you go, what's Solomon's porch? Well, it's known as the porch of judgment. And it means from this location, the king would make judgments and exercise justice for those who were brought before him. 
So Jesus, guys, is strolling through this historic location, physically embodying justice in the place of justice, something his life and teachings were all about. What's their problem? Here's what they're asking, right? They look at him. Here comes Jesus. They surround him. And what are they doing? They're trying to settle and ask the question that a lot of people ask today. Who are you? Tell us who you really are, right? Give us your identity. So what they're saying is they're saying, hey, Jesus, stop keeping us in the dark. If you're the Messiah, tell us straight out. Why would they want to know? Because they understand that Antiochus stood up and said, I'm God and destroyed everyone. Okay, number two, okay, my Bible students, listen, why were they tripping about Jesus if he's claiming to be God? Because they wanted the Messiah to come in and completely destroy Rome. Their idea of, of the kingdom of God was different than what God was, was God was explaining. They wanted to come in and, and not be under the bondage of Rome anymore. They wanted Jesus to stand up, go dun da da da, and send all his angels and wipe out Rome and then start his kingdom there. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Why? Because it was a spiritual kingdom. And so now they're going, Are you G are you are you the Christ or not? Help us. Right? Because 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 I remember my great great grandfather telling me about Antiochus and how it was horrible. And how we lost my grandmother and how we lost so-and-so because we, 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 we were not going to be a Hellenist. We were going to be a traditionalist. We were going to worship God. And then he defiled the temple. We couldn't even go back in the temple because it was, it was full of swine. And we're not going to worship swine. We're not going to eat swine. So please tell us if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And so what Jesus does is notice, verse 25, he answered them and said, I told you. He says, but you do not believe. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you don't believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Now catch this, guys, catch this. Look at verse 25. If you have a pencil handy, circle that word for believe, right? Because Jesus just told him. He said, I've been telling you this. He says, but you guys don't believe. Now, our English word is really different than from the Greek that John uses to employ. You go, what do you mean? The word, guys, believe here is made up of three words, and I've told you this before, but let's just review real quick, okay? The word believe is made up of three Greek words. The first one is pisteo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O. That's the first word. You go, what does that mean? It means to have faith in, in respect to a person to entrust, you go, okay. The second Greek word is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it means persuaded to have reliance upon Christ for salvation. And then the third is pitheo, P-E-I-T-H-O, and it means to be convinced with confidence. Here's what Jesus just told him. You ready? Jesus answered and said, I told you and you do not... You don't have faith in me as a person. You are not persuaded to where you reliance on me for salvation, and you are not convinced with confidence. There's a lot of people, church, that believe, 
They believe because they don't know what else to believe, but it's not what, what, what John is saying. John is going, listen, when it comes to belief, here's where salvation begins. Guys, that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a person. Salvation comes when you have been persuaded beyond a shadow of a doubt, you guys with me, and you've been persuaded and your reliance upon Christ for salvation. In other words, here's what it means. When you take your final breath, your hope is in Jesus and only Jesus. That's, that's, that's belief. And last but not least, that you have the utmost confidence in that. And you go like what? Well, real simple. If I were to ask you, hey, hey, you know what? If you died today, how do you know you'd go to heaven? And with confidence, you go, because of what Jesus did for me. Because he's fully God and full. I have the most confidence. I don't have confidence in my works. I don't have confidence in my good looks. I don't have confidence in my, in my heritage. I don't have confidence in my denomination or even my religion. I have con- the, 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 the way I get to heaven, to be honest with you, is Jesus and Jesus only. That's what he says. And he says, now the problem is, guys, listen, the problem is, is that, is that I told you, I've been telling you. I've been telling you. What more can I do to convince you that I'm the Messiah? He says, you guys don't, you don't believe. You know the works that you've seen, the works that we do? He says, the works that we do, I've done in my Father's name. And every work that I've done has bared witness of me. Here's the problem. You guys ready? Look at verse 26. He says, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. Remember, he spent, he spent the whole previous part of the chapter saying a belief. He says, listen, my sheep, bah, hear my voice, bah, right? That's who we are. We hear his voice. And he's going, you don't believe and you don't hear my voice. You're not my sheep. You're not my sheep. Problem is, is that you don't believe because you don't hear my voice. You're not my sheep. Why? Look at verse 27. Jesus continues and he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Everybody look at verse 27. If you're a highlighter or an underliner, this is a great verse to underline. You go, why? It speaks volumes. What do you mean? Notice what Jesus says. He says, my sheep, that's us. Can I get an amen? My sheep hear my voice, and here's what I want you to see, and I know them. When we go witnessing, we say this, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And we go, yes, I know Jesus. I'm a believer, right? We use that a lot. But here's, here's the more important question. Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? Right? You go, why would he say that? You guys remember the passage, the real scary passage I don't really like to talk about in Matthew chapter 7, where you had a group of people come to Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They were saying, Lord, we knew you, we know you, we think we know you, we know all about you. And Jesus goes, we've never had a relationship. I never, I never knew you. And see, that's what I love about this. He's saying, he's saying us as, as his sheep, we hear his voice and he knows us. And we follow him. And we follow him. Do you understand what that means? That means no matter where you are in life, 
you're going to follow God. If he tells you, you're moving. If he says stop, you stop. You're just going to follow him. He has you in the palm of his hand. Do you realize that? He has you right here. You go, what do you mean? Well, keep reading. It gets good. Look, he says, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither anyone shall snatch them out of my hand. That's great news. Why? If you're his sheep, well, how do I become a sheep? If you hear his voice and you respond, check this out. He says, I'm going to give you eternal life. I want eternal life. He says, and they shall never perish. Does that mean I'm not going to die? No, no, no. It means that this body at one day might go into the ground here, but you are never going to perish. For the Christian, it says this. It means that you are simply going to change addresses. That's all you're going to do. Now, we'll mourn for you because, because of, of who you are. We'll see you here and we'll say goodbye. And we might have a casket here. We might, whatever it might be. But who makes you, you is going to live forever. You're just like, yes. And, and here's what I love. And Jesus said, and nobody's going to snatch you out of his hand. Don't you just love that? Why? Because when the enemy goes, I'm going to take out Santos. God goes, nope. Boom. Get out of here. Nobody's taking him from me. You, you see how it all ties into being the good shepherd and the shepherd of the sheep and the door? He says, nobody's going to take my sheep. Nobody. What does that speak of to you guys? Let, let's, let's get real in church. It speaks of rest. If God loves you that much that he's never going to let anyone snatch you out of his hand, then you can rest that he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to love you. He's going to be your God, but you've got to let him. You've got to let him. I have this crazy picture in my mind, guys, that there are times as believers, help me out here, that as believers, that nobody snatches us out of his hands, but we sometimes walk away. Well, there's the hand of the Lord, but I'm over here now. And we get off his hand, and we get in ourselves in a mess, and I, no, 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 I want to be in his hand because I know he protects me. I know he protects me. I know we do that sometimes, guys. I know we do that sometimes. My father, verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Quick point. Remember the purpose of the letter, guys, so that we would believe, and believing we would have life in his name. So Jesus just said, I told you, and you haven't believed. Now, here's what I want you to say. Up until now, in our study in the book of John, the first 10 chapters, he has told us 16 times who he is. 16 times, I am the door. I am the bread of life. 16 times, I am the light of the world. He has told us who he is. He says, the problem is, is that you have hard hearts and unbelief. Just believe. Just believe. Just believe. Now, let's close with verse 30, guys. Let's close with verse 30. It's an important statement in our study because here's how Jesus says. He says, I and my Father are one. And you go, why is that important? Here it's important, right? Because now, once again, he said to us that he is fully man and fully God. Right here. You go, what do you mean? 
Well, here's he saying is regarding the deity of Jesus and the nature of the Godhead. He says, I am my father means that the father and the son, listen to me, are not the same person in personality. It means that you have both the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons or personalities, but one God. And he's telling you that, right? There's a, there's a group that go around and they call him the Jesus only. And they're saying that it's only Jesus. And Jesus encompasses the Father and the Spirit all in one. But yet, many times throughout Scripture, Jesus is often pointing us to who? God the Father. I would think he would say, I am myself and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But he's always saying, he's always saying. When he, when he told his disciples, he says, listen, I'm going to go home, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send you another comforter. The word another is, is one, same, same, the same authority, but a different personality. That would be the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, I'm God, but, but you need to believe that it's the three in one. Well, pastor, can you explain that? I wish I could. Really, de- real in depth. But, but I, it's exhausting. I just believe it. I know that he's three in one. I know he's three in one. I fully expect when I die to not only see my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with the scar still on, as well as my heavenly Father. Yet they'll be one. How do you explain that? I don't know. But I know he says it and I believe it. You see, Jesus right here affirms that he's God. The Jews understood this. How do you know? Because they're going to take up stones to try to kill him. Well, they're mean. Why would they want to kill Jesus? Remember, they're not wanting another Antiochus. They're not wanting another disaster. And he just claimed to be God. Based on scripture, what's the reality, guys? There's only two. It seems like there's only two choices. Either you believe or you don't believe. There are disciples that were walking with Jesus. They believed and they're going to follow him. And then there's people who took up stones and says, blasphemer, you can't. And they're going to try to kill him. Think of the temple for just a moment, guys, as we close. Remember, Jesus is the living temple. You go, what does that mean? That means that it can never be destroyed anymore. And it means that he brings restoration to our lives. How so? Because he's the living temple, guys. He provides forgiveness and healing with God. That's the first thing. Because he's the living temple, he provides forgiveness, forgiveness for your sins, and he brings healing for you. That's so key. That's so key. And because he's the living temple, it also means that he provides forgiveness for one another and for ourselves. Listen, I know, I know that we've all made some bad choices and we've all made some, some 
We've all made mistakes in life. Amen? But if the God of the universe can forgive you and bring healing, you need to forgive yourself. You need to let that go so that you can move forward. He's not holding sins against you. He's forgiving you, and it's time to walk in that. You see, no matter where you are this morning, you might be here and you might be full of pain and suffering. If you'll just take a moment to listen to his voice, he's the voice of the good shepherd. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying, today's the day to be right with God. Today's the day. Let us listen with great expectation to the voice of comfort. You go, what's he saying? Now listen. Listen to me. Here's the gospel message. You ready? Jesus died for our sins, and he rose again to show us that he has victory over death and that he has eternal life and his kingdom is established forever. And forever, he is the good shepherd to give us life now and forever, even victory over death. You go, amen, pastor. What's my responsibility? Your responsibility is to be obedient. You go, how so? Well, maybe the Lord's knocking on your heart right now and he's asking you, where are you? Are you truly forgiven? Are you truly, are you truly, do you really have life? You go, Pastor, what do I need to do? Well, here's what you need to do. You just need to open up your heart and invite him inside. You should say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe that you are God, and I'm putting my faith and trust in what you did, Jesus. And I confess that you are God, and I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. If you'll do that, we believe that you're born again and that you'll have eternal life. But Jesus is not going to make you do it. He loves you enough. He stands with his arms wide open and says, and says I love you. I've got a plan for your life if you'll trust me. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word this morning. We thank you, God. We look forward to our baptism, God. We look forward to what you want to do. We're excited. But Lord, I never want to leave this place without an opportunity for anyone to be right with you. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would do do an amazing work. With every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here this morning that says, Pastor, would you just pray for me? I don't feel like I'm in a right relationship with God, and you were saying some things, and I've got to be honest with you, I feel like I'm a million miles away from God right now. Well, listen, you may feel like you're a million miles away from God, but you're one decision away from coming to Him. You go, what do I have to do? Listen, in a minute, just lift up your hand. I want to see you. I want to pray for you. Why do I have to lift up my hand, Pastor? Here's why, because I want God to see your heart. Well, what are you going to do? I'm just going to lead you in a prayer, and a prayer that will just open up your heart and invite Jesus inside. But it's between you and God. We can't make you but I do want to give you an opportunity. Many of you have. Many of you have done that in this church, and I thank you. But maybe today God is moving, and he's always moving, and he wants to save us, and he wants to reconcile us. So without further ado, if you're here today, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, but you want forgiveness of sins, and you want him to come in, and you want a brand new life in him, all you have to do is lift up your hand so I can see you. That's you acknowledging that you want Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand right now? God bless you, sister. 
Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, I thank you for my precious sister here who raised her hand, Lord. I pray, God, that you would, would do a work. God, I pray and I thank you that you're still saving people. If you'll just pray this prayer after me, mean it with all of your heart, would you just pray something like this? Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe in you, Lord. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I'm asking you now to forgive me. And I'm asking you, Lord, to come into my heart and be my Lord and be my God and be my Savior and be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.